Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast USFL edition here coming to you on Tuesday it was going to be on Monday but you know had some weather mother nature decided to be a whore had to push it off a little bit we're used to it in these COVID times luckily it didn't have anything to do with that plan on these abbreviated editions of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast being out the afternoon after all USFL games wrap up throughout the entire season uh, usually our PFF d- uh, data and grades and all that is are done by 2 p.m. So I want to bring you guys all the accurate, you know, routes, snaps, all that for fantasy purposes. So I will be waiting for the ever glorious PFF data team to finalize those. But believe you me, I will be right here when all is done. So with that in mind, let's break down the week one USFL action. And if you don't like the USFL, you know, don't listen. I'll have another podcast up later with Dwayne McFarland covering all of our fantasy football NFL offseason needs. So sticking with the great day of USFL football. We had kickoff Saturday night. Birmingham Stallions took down the New Jersey Generals 28-24. to Randy Satterfield ended up being the player of the game. Player of the moment, at least to start it off, because the Generals, what a start to the freaking season. 49-yard bomb from Luis Perez on the very first play of the game, and ended up following up with Satterfield at the end of the drive for a short three-yard touchdown. After that, we had a sick catch by Osiris Mitchell. 35 yards, only needed one hand. If you catch the ball with one hand, you just only need one foot down he got two feet down anyway but just a pet peeve of mine after that we had tight end Braden Bowden score Braden Bowman excuse me score a short touchdown CJ Marable even things up with a short three-yard touchdown generals came back in the second half four-yard touchdown run by their run first QB DeAndre Johnson but that did not stop the opposing Birmingham Stallions only I guess they're not opposing. They're the only home team in this league. But anyway, Jamar Smith had two great drives to end the game. First one, six plays, six, seven yards, capped off by a 28-yard strike down the middle to carry Angeline. Finally, end the game, 59 yards and 10 plays. Go-ahead touchdown on two-yard scramble by Smith to end the game with just 23 seconds on the clock remaining. So as someone that did happen to have the New Jersey Generals plus three and a half, losing by those four points certainly stung, but this was easily the most entertaining game of the day. Now that we got those touchdowns covered, quickly, my players of the game on offense, Stallions, Stallions QB, Jamar Smith, did not start this game. We actually had to go through the first part of this watching Alex Magoo, who we talked about before a season as one of the worst quarterbacks in the USFL. He quickly proved that point to be true. Jamar Smith came in and yeah, wasn't the most, you know, accurate passer in the world, but we are talking about the USFL here. Did average 7.4 yards per attempt and again, had that go ahead touchdown to go ahead with the rushing touchdown he pitched in before. So great second half comeback from Jamar Smith, easily my number one player of the game, but also got to give it up for Generals wide receiver Randy Satterfield, only wide receiver on the week to crack triple digit receiving yards, got exactly 100 while catching all five of his targets. So PFF's second highest grade receiver on the week with a 79.3 PFF receiving grade. Great stuff from Satterfield. Defensive side of the ball, quick shout out to Stallions defensive end uh, Dondrea Tillman and defensive tackle Jordan Thompson. I mean, it was egregious just how little ability um, the Generals had to pass protect. I think that's why we actually saw the quarterback switch happen from Luis Perez to DeAndre Johnson because, my God, people, New Jersey was pressured on 68.8% of their dropbacks. Tillman had 10 of those most in the week, had PFF's highest graded pass rush score. Thompson was tied for second with six pressures, or excuse me, four pressures, um, tied for second on the squad in that. So now the good stuff, the fantasy football workload notes. 
basically, people, this whole league, every team was using two running backs. The wide receivers and tight ends were got a little funky. We'll break that down. And the quarterback rotations were also different. We only had a couple teams actually feature the same guy under center for the entirety of the game. But it did seem like some of these situations, starting off with, um, again, our Stallions, our Birmingham Stallions here, having a takeover occur. And I think that's what happened here with Jamar Smith and Alex Magoo because we did see Smith out there for each and every single snap of the second half. So it looks like Jamar Smith will now be the starting quarterback for the Birmingham Stallions. Not a given. We'll see what happens in week two. But I would think that the Alex Magoo era, if you want to call it that, is over. Um, in the running back room, C.J. Marable, 65% snaps and 61% of the routes. Yeah, we did have Tony Brooks-James actually finish with more rushes and targets, but based on these splits, C.J. Marable should be the RB1 more weeks than not. And this is where things got real interesting in Birmingham. These wide receivers, they only used three. Victor Bolden, Marlon Williams, and Osiris Mitchell, but all three of them ran a route on 100% of the dropbacks here, so it's not going to be the most pass happy I think most productive passing game in the league but my god people you're going to see some of these offenses utilizing five six wide receivers the fact in Birmingham we have just three to worry about truly great for fantasy land and the same goes for tight end Kerry Angeline 92% of the routes 89% of the snaps I mean to have again our wide receivers and tight ends and even the running back room with Okay, Tony Brooks James is getting his, but at first glance, guys, as long as we can get this quarterback situation figured out, Birmingham Stallions look like one of the most condensed teams in the entire USFL. Now looking at the new Jersey Generals, DeAndre Johnson and Luis Perez. This really was split. Uh, Perez played a lot better than I thought he was going to play as a passer, but they just didn't go with it. Now maybe it was a little bit of the weather. weather I think the big issue was that pass rush. But in the first first half, Luis Perez easily outsnapped DeAndre Johnson, 28 to 12. Second half, that went to Johnson, 28 to 5, and they just started running the absolute piss out of the ball. At one point, the Generals ran the ball on 24 consecutive plays. Got a lot of meme usage on Twitter, and as it should, like that is absolutely insane. But DeAndre Johnson was a big reason for that. He ended up leading the entire league in rushing yards on this week with 13 carries. Looked good doing it. 11 dropbacks. He's not incapable of throwing the ball, but clearly Luis Perez is their better option. Unlike Birmingham, I do think this two, B, two QB split is here to stay until someone, Johnson or Perez, truly pulls away. But maybe not. I mean, they did both fill their jobs well. Maybe we continue to see this throughout the year. In the backfield, Trey Williams, another running back that really is looking like he is ingrained as the true three-down workhorse. Team high, 63% of the snaps and 66% of the routes. So another situation where I think these snaps and routes are giving us a little bit more clear picture because, yes, Darius Victor did finish with two additional carries than Trey Williams, but Trey Williams had all five backfield targets. And the fact that, again, those snap and route numbers were so much in his favor, I think Victor is going to take a big step back in future weeks where we're not seeing such a run heavy second half game script in the wide receiver room uh, three wide receiver sets had Randy Satterfield Alonzo Moore and Cavante Turbin Darius Shepard and Jamon Moore well in the back I know the Jamon Moore news probably bumming a lot of you out uh, you know including myself that thought he would be able to rise to the top of this depth chart not looking that way I would note though because we got some kind of 
gushy air yard totals here. Satterfields are legit. He caught all five of his targets, and he finished with 103 air yards. Great job. Alonzo Moore, Cavante Turpin, and Darius Shepard all benefited from some heaves at the end. You know, basic de facto Hail Mary plays. So the Alonzo Moore, Turpin, and Darius Shepard stuff, if you see people really talking about the air yards for them and they're just talking about the bounce back potential, good chance they did not grind through these games like I sadly did myself. Uh, and finally, I, we got two tight ends being used in this offense. So even though Braden Bowman had the touchdown, uh, he's splitting stuff. He's actually working behind Woody Brandom on a per play basis. Wouldn't expect too much to come out of that on a weekly basis. But yeah, overall, awesome start in the year. I thought it went about as well as the USFL could have hoped for for an on-field product. And, you know, we'll see what happens. The Stallions a little bit better than I anticipated at the same time. The Generals won time in possession 38 minutes to 22 and also won the total yards battle 408 versus 277. So, we'll keep an eye on this Birmingham pass rush because, my God, if that pass rush is as good as it looked this week against every team, Birmingham is going to be a serious problem to deal with. But I think in general, we're looking at two Fairly middle of the pack teams here. Neither the Generals nor the Stallions struck me as a squad that we can just assume are going to be, you know, Pittsburgh Maulers level of dog shit week in and week out. Next game, I think you guys will notice these next recaps that didn't include quite as many touchdowns go just a bit quicker. But the Houston Gamblers took down the Michigan Panthers 17 to 12. Panthers, like, were getting getting feisty, moving all the way down the field with a mix of Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch. Uh, Paxton Lynch picked up a short rushing first down and immediately got compared to Josh Allen by uh, guest analyst Jason Garrett uh, right after Jason Garrett made that uh, comment. Guess what? Paxton Lynch got intercepted. So maybe don't compare Paxton Lynch to freaking Josh Allen when you have a national uh, television microphone in front of you. But we'll save that. I, you know, I guess I didn't save it. I guess I already got it off my chest. Anyway, back to touchdown summary. Shea Patterson takes this offense all the way down the field and then proceeds to get walloped, loses the ball. Reggie Northrup took it all the way back in the house, 87 yards. Yeah, this was awesome. I love the helmet cams for the USFL. Being able to see these defenders, you know, get the scoop and score, get the pick six. Even a blindside block thrown in there in one of the games. It was a lot of fun throughout the weekend. Only offensive touchdown of the game for the victorious game. Uh, gamblers happened next. 12-yard touchdown from Clayton Thorson to Isaiah Zuber. I know Zuber was pretty chalky in DFS land, so it was good to see. But, man, I am. we'll, we'll give Clayton Thorson the benefit of the doubt. I mean, winners write the history book, so we'll, we'll go give it to him. But, my God, this pass, guys, I thought it was going to be intended for the guy in front of Zuber, who happened to have two defenders around him, happened to float over top. And touchdown is a touchdown. Just wasn't the most impressive of the world. world. And finally, Shea Patterson did throw an eight-yard score to Lance Lamore. And later, they almost freaking won, guys. This was crazy. Fourth down, fourth and ball game, basically. Shea, Shea Patterson rolls out. There was a bomb to the Michael Petway. The dude caught the ball. It got over the defenders. Unfortunately, only got one foot down, out of bounds. And anyway, the Panthers were flagged for an illegal chop block. So just wasn't meant to be, um, by the way. Previous to that, Stevie Scott did get a short goal line touchdown. So that caps off the scoring. Offensive player of the game has to go to Gamblers running back Mark Thompson. I know I didn't mention him finding the end zone, but he was a big reason why they were able to control the game to the extent they were able to. 67 of Thompson's 71 yards on the ground came after contact. The dude's 6'2", 235 pounds. We talked in the preseason about the allure of him potentially winning this job. It did seem to be pretty close, close to the case. Overall, 
5.2 yards after contact per carry. I would say those are Derrick Henry numbers, but those are Mark Thompson numbers because we've never seen someone average over five yards per carry. Uh, just great stuff from him. Defensive players of the game, Gamblers linebacker Reggie Northrup, part-time MMA fighter. My God, I would not want to see that dude uh, in the hole. But he had to scoop and score a touchdown. Also, upon scoring, found his dad in the stands. Do it to him. We got to hear an interview from both guys. That was a fun time. PFF's second highest grade linebacker on the week. Also had six tackles and two pressures the heart and soul of the houston gamblers defense but also shout out to your defensive end among gooden two sacks two forced fumbles and also four pressures i mean one just two players and multiple i think there was actually a third so two or three players on the week had multiple sacks among gooden was one of them shout out to gooden and reggie northrop i mean those forced fumbles were truly the difference in the game i know the pits uh, michigan panthers deservedly a little bit at least based on the first half got widely mocked you know across twitter and everything but that gambler's defense you know alongside the birmingham stallions defense i do think deserves a lot of credit for what they were able to do at the line of scrimmage now some fantasy football workload notes we did see thorson for the gamblers work as the clear-cut qb1 he was out there for 87 percent of the snaps it seemed like when kenji Baher came in at the end it was mostly just trying to run out the clock fourth quarter stuff he only dropped back on one total drop back despite playing more snaps in the fourth quarter maybe it was a switch thorson was not very good when he was out there for the first three quarters i would still expect him to be under center come week two though Mark Thompson did lead the way on the ground. However, Dalen Dawkins, their other shorter scat back, actually led the way in routes. And uh, he is the presumed going to be the scat back in the offense. But here's the thing, guys. Mark Thompson, I just told you about him. 6'2", 235 pounds. So the Gamblers actually went for two points after their touchdown twice from the two-yard line. And both times they gave a goal line carry to Dalen Dawkins. So even though Thompson is the superior rusher, he had 13 carries to Dawkins 10. So if Dawkins is going to be getting more pass down work in future games that features the gamblers having to throw the ball more, I'm not so sure Thompson is going to be quite as able to stay on the field as you know the running backs we talked about before with the generals and the stallions. At wide receiver, though, we at least have two guys we can trust. Isaiah Zuber, 100% route participation. JoJo Ward, 90%, and also had a team-high nine targets. Just 25 air yards. Clayton Thurston was not, you know, in the business of throwing the ball downfield last week. Uh, but we do have those two wide receivers and an offense that utilized two full-time tight ends. Brandon Barnes and Julian Allen each played over 50% of the offensive snaps. Looking like Isaiah Zuber and JoJo Ward, really the two pass catchers to focus on here. But yeah, overall, did not see too much goodness from this Houston Gamblers offense. With the Michigan Panthers, Shea Patterson, you know, widely mocked, but he did go ahead and take that job for the second half. Paxton Lynch experiment it seemed to end in the second quarter, and Patterson took every single second half snap. So it was unclear if it was more of a gimmicky thing. I mean, to, you know, to Lynch's credit, he wasn't just a rushing threat, but he did have four rushes and seven dropbacks. So we'll see what happens. Can't guarantee Patterson's going to be playing every snap week in and week out. Would expect him to play the majority, though, more times than not. In the backfield, just split right down the middle like a lot of these. Stevie Scott, 51% snaps. Cameron Scarlett, 49%. Stevie did lead the way in routes and also have more rushes, um, 18 to 15 overall. Both guys got a single target. So Stevie Scott, give him the slight edge, but it's not the same sort of edge that we've seen. You know, Trey Williams and a couple other guys have in their respective backfields. Wide receiver room and the tight ends are largely a mess here. I mean, Lance Lenore, Devin Ross, Joe Walker, and Jeff Bidette were all involved leading to Lance Lenore. Yeah, he was the lead target. Team high, 94 air yards, nine targets. That was great. 
Couple drops, but looks swaggy as hell. Made some nice plays for him. The problem is that 83% route participation wouldn't even be top two or three on more teams than not in this league. So the fact that they're keeping Jeff Bidette involved as a rotation piece for all these guys, it just lowers the ceiling for everyone involved, as does the constant use of all these tight ends. I mean, Marcus Ball, Joey Magnifico, and LaMichael Petway all played at least 34% of the offensive snaps. And Ball and Magnifico's case, they were over 50%. So three tight ends, four wide receivers, and an offense that, hey, you know, they kind of had to throw the ball this last week because they were down at halftime. But let's face it, don't really think that's in Jeff Fisher's usual game plan. Um, I think in this offense, we'll want to focus on Stevie Scott, Cameron Scarlett, more weeks than not. Final thoughts on this one. I kind of mentioned Jason Garrett, you know, just shitting to bed with the Paxton Lynch to Josh Allen comp, but there was some unintentional comedy in this one. The Michigan Panthers social media team confused their highly drafted wide receiver, Quincy Ade Boyeo. Sorry about that pronunciation. I had multiple questions from people about Quincy because he was one of the highest priced guys on DraftKings, but we talked about this on the pod. Like he never reported the camp in the first place. Social media team didn't realize that. And they tagged him as Joe Walker, who actually wound up having a nice game. Five catches, 51 yards, and even had a punt return touchdown nullified by a crack block. So, you know, just kind of a funny thing. Even the social media teams for these squads don't necessarily know who is fully on the team. Um, but yeah, can't say enough good things about the aesthetic visuals of these players out there. It looks like half the guys were made by a Madden creative player connoisseur, uh, if you you will. Two of the Houston Gamblers offensive linemen had rainbow visors on. I've been a longtime fan of visors and the USFL has nailed that part of the product. Also a note that guys for the Panthers, like what they're doing now, the line of scrimmage for every team is going to be like match, like your alternate color or something. That Panthers line of scrimmage blue was sexy. It's like a Tar Heel blue. I've always loved that color of blue, but out of all the line of scrimmage colors in the USFL, I'm giving the Michigan Panthers the 101 spot thanks to that shade of blue. And finally, I just want to talk about that Joe Walker punt return touchdown that was for not because we got two awesome moments from that. We had the helmet cam view of the blindside block. You know, if you guys did not watch any USFL this weekend, I would just encourage you to check out a few of the helmet cam videos because that it's awesome. And like we used to see those in um, the old ESPN 2K football game with T.O. on the front from like 2005. They literally had a game mode where you got to see out of the players, you know, view what they're seeing on the field. Now, it wasn't perfect then, but let's try it. Why the hell not? Uh, it was a good time. And then we also got a bunch of live mics on the field to pick up the ensuing track trash talk between uh, the players out there. So I really wish these live mics could find a way how to get those damn um, drone, that drone sound out because it gets really annoying really quickly. Saw a funny tweet. I forget by who, so my bad. Uh, but they brought up the point where that drone sound is kind of akin to uh, akin, akin. I think it's akin. Basically, sounds just like those uh, Nazi zombies doing the Call of Duty games. Um, it is something that I wish they could tone down just a little bit, but I do appreciate the goal of having all those extra mics and cameras. Why the hell not? Last game on Sunday due to the weather delays, New Orleans Breakers took down the Philadelphia Stars 23-17. First touchdown of the game. Vontae Diggs, gotta love that last name, pick six. And once again, just had another great helmet cam shot. Wasn't a good throw by Brian Scott, but we did see them go back down the field. 79 yards and 11 plays. And tight end slash actually a slot receiver, Bug Howard wound up hauling in. Fairly uncontested 10-yard touchdown from Brian Scott on a drag. We did have the Breakers go ahead, get into the end zone with TJ Logan from short distance, and later would also get a nice touchdown from Jordan Ellis, their main running back, from two yards out. 
Only other scorer of the game was Darnell Holland, presumed starting running back for the Stars, had a 42-yard sprint to the house. Wasn't overly impressive. He scored a professional touchdown. I'll give him that. But Hole was there, basically just outran a couple guys to the end zone. But credit to Holland, led all USFL running backs with a robust average of 5.8 yards per carry. Did not earn Offensive Player of the Game, though. Those honors went to Stars wide receiver Chris Rowland, who had the single highest PFF offensive grade of the week, 86.8, among all receivers. Yeah, I think all receivers. And basically on the day, caught seven of nine targets with 74 yards without a single drop, also forced two missed tackles. Chris Rowland, out of maybe everyone I watched this week, seemed to show the most juice out of the catch. This guy was legit shifty. You can tell he was comfortable in the slot. Good route runner. And once he got the ball in his hands, he was making guys miss. So great game from Chris Rowland. Also shout out to Breakers running back Jordan Ellis. Only Generals quarterback DeAndre Johnson have more total rushing yards on the week. Ellis, four broken tackles. 58 yards after contact. Basically had the Breakers' highest individual PFF offensive grade. Shout out to Stars cornerback Channing Stribling, my defensive player of the game. Nobody earned a higher PFF defensive grade on the week than Stribling. Broke up two passes in addition to his interception, which ended up setting up a field goal. Also shout out to Breakers defensive end Davin Bellamy. Had PFFs, was PFF's highest graded edge defender. Wound up going in, getting not one, not two, three sacks. And also had six pressures. Um, if you guys caught, the, I mentioned the trash talk before. Bellamy was the guy standing on the sideline just rocking a baby with whoever he just punked again uh, for an extremely extended period of time. I mean, if he did this in an NFL game, they might have, you know, just taken the guy to freaking prison based on how they treat a lot of these taunting ponies. Great stuff from Davin. And thank you, USFL refs, for not being afraid to let the guys have a little bit of fun. Some fantasy football workload notes. Kyle Sloter, the QB1 for the Breakers out there, 97% of the snaps. Don't have to worry about, you know, them rotating quarterbacks. Thank God. At running back, TJ Logan wound up working as the lead back, 55% snaps, 63% route participation. Had all four of the backfield's targets, but Jordan Ellis did lead the way in total rush attempts, 18-15. to 15. Seems like it'll be a fairly evenly split to running back committee here in New Orleans. Wide receiver room, Johnny Dixon led the way, 90% routes. Chad Williams, 87%. Jonathan Adams Jr., 77%. But damn it, guys, we have a fourth wide receiver here. Thought it was going to be a number one receiver. We guess not. Sean Poindexter, just 43% of the route. So another situation where it looks like Dixon and Williams, you know, similar to um, JoJo and the other guy. Like, we have two receivers that seem to be at the top, but I wouldn't get, you know, two into the weeds after that because of them having more than more than three wide receivers consistently involved. Uh, we did see Jonathan Adams lead the way in air yards with 70. Only other guy even over 51 was tight end Sal Canella with 66 air yards and a team high seven targets, 94% snaps, 87% route participation. So a lot more tight end usage than I was kind of expecting in this league. And the way DraftKings is being set up with the wide receiver tight end running back flex, I think there are some teams such as the Breakers where we have a guy like Sal Canella. He's actually running as many routes as some of the wide receivers anyway. They're getting the targets and they've proven capable now that we've actually seen them with our own eyes of picking up the yardage. We're not going to be afraid to go home with the tight ends uh, in, <laughs> in fantasy land. Wow, that was a weird way to say that, Ian. Uh, we're not going to be afraid to go with the tight ends in the flex spot in fantasy land here moving forward. 
on the other side of things with the Philadelphia Scars. Stars, great game. Both quarterbacks were on the field basically the entire time. Brian Scott in this one. Seemed like he got banged up at the end. We'll keep an eye on the injury report, but I didn't think it was anything that was necessarily going to be a long-term issue as I knock on wood. Another two-RB backfield. Every team out here only utilized two running backs. I Basically, I think due to some guys being hurt um, and whatnot, maybe we'll see that change in the future. But for now, we'll take that. It's 2022. The day of the workhorse running back is pretty much over. We can live with two running back committees. Matt Colburn led the way to 56% snaps, 52% route participation. He had nine carries, as did Darnell Holland, who actually had four targets compared to six for Colburn. So thought Holland was going to be the starter going back to his history with Brian Scott, Bart Andrus, and, you know, their spring league team together. He did score a touchdown, but Matt Colburn actually was the more utilized back in the wide receiver room. Five guys involved at the top, Jordan Sewell and DeAndre Overton. But underneath them, Devin Gray and Chris Rowland actually wound up getting more of the targets and in Rowland's case, way more of the air yards. So Rowland, they seem to be pretty happy with him just sticking to the slot, 67% snaps, 73% routes. But man, when he had eight targets and the rest of these four wide receivers combined for just 10 targets, you would think that Rowland's you know, contributions, playing time and production could continue to go up. Wouldn't guarantee it, though. We would like to see those routes get a little bit higher. The biggest concerning factor is Bug Howard. Just 30% of the snaps, 32% of the routes. Using him as a slot receiver... Look, it was great how much for the Philadelphia Stars used three and four wide receiver sets. This is a wide open offense. With that said, Bug Howard, if he's not going to be on the field for even a third of the offensive snaps, I cannot rationalize playing him in any fantasy format. Finally, Breakers. You know, didn't exactly break the stars, ha, ha, ha. But hey, a win is a win is a win. I just would not put the stars down too much after this. If you look at this game, you know, from just a drive-to-drive perspective, the stars had the pick six, a fumble, a missed field goal, a block punt that turned into a safety, and also a turnover on downs where uh, Scott had the open running back in the flat. I believe it was Colburn. Had his man open, threw the ball. Awesome play by the Blitzen defender to get up and knock it away. So this game, I think if they simulated it 10 times, probably goes to Stars way more times than not. But it didn't this time, and that's all that matters. So credit to the Breakers. You know, they got the win. And Kyle Sloter, who I presume to be the best quarterback in the USFL going into the season, didn't even play his best game. So good stuff there. And also, shout out to this modern first down measurement system. I love being acting like I'm at Wimbledon now. Just seeing the measurements actually make sense and not being an eye test from some 70-year-old dude so final game of the week to break down the Tampa Bay Bandit took down the Pittsburgh Maulers 17 to 3 on Monday night marched right down the field to start this game I was looking up like old newspapers on uh you know just google images and shit to try to find uh something that could just reference the beatdown we were about to see uh best one was Georgia Tech winning a game 222 to nothing back in the day wasn't meant to be though despite having that hella efficient eight play 68 yard touchdown drive capped off with a three yard touchdown from BJ Emmons that was just the um, one of two touchdowns in the entire game second and final touchdown was a short three yard pass from Jordan Tiamu to Jordan Lastly so yeah um I would I would have to say that those uh Fox bet you know 50 point 56 point uh, game totals. Maybe we're stretched a little bit too much. I guess we did get two games with relatively high scores, but this was not meant to be. Mostly because the Maulers decided to run the ball on each of their first six plays. Two straight punts. It, it was just embarrassing. Honestly, like seeing the Maulers and what they've done over the past 48 hours, uh, it's a shame to them and the entire USFL, in my humble opinion. 
Offensive player of the game, Bandits tight end Cheyenne O'Grady. Pair of interceptions cost Jordan Tiamo his chance of receiving this award. Played well in the first half, just wasn't his best effort in the second half. O'Grady, though, did play well all game long. Caught 8 of 11 targets for a game-high 86 yards. Very friendly receiving tight end, and as we'll get to in a second, really the only full-time pass catcher in this offense. Defensive players of the game, got to go. Got to get some respect to the Pittsburgh Maulers, the linebacker. And these names are tough. Uh, Kaiva Tazino and safety Arnold Tarpley. Tazino and Tarpley, I mean, both of them ended up having an interception and a pair of pass deflections. Tazino, the linebacker, 12 tackles were most in the game. Tarpley pitched in eight in his own right. So great stuff from those guys. Tazino and Tarpley, I think big reason why this was not a complete blowout. Only 14 points. So some final workload notes before we get out of here. Jordan Tiamu, rightfully, understandably, as he should, took every single snap under center. Would expect bigger fantasy performances in the future. At running back, this was actually like one of the best kind of situations we could have hoped for because B.J. Emmons leads the way in snaps 58%, but also led the way in routes at 51% over Jawan Washington, who's way more of a presumed scat back. So Emmons, 18 to 11 leading the rushes, 3 to 1 leading the targets. Great day to be a B.J. Emmons fantasy manager. This is where things get fucked in a hurry, though. The wide receiver room is a mess. Derek Willies, Vinny Papali, Jordan Lassley, John Franklin, and Rashard Davis all play between 38 and 63% of the snaps. Oh, wait, and there's Derek Dillon as well, who played 31% of the snaps. All these guys were between 31 and 66% of the routes. So, yeah, guys. Three to four wide receivers. Like, having four wide receivers in the USFL is tough enough. For this team to use six and then not necessarily, you know, look to spread the ball out the entire game. 35 dropbacks for Tiamu. Not bad, but it's going to be tough to get too confident in any of these wide receivers until we see someone break through. To be fair, that guy did seem like Jordan Lastly for most of the game. Ended up with a team high. Five targets, 71 air yards, and caught that aforementioned touchdown. But the real number one pass catcher in this offense might just be our offensive player of the game, Cheyenne O'Grady. 100% snaps, 91% route participation, team high 10 targets, even 70 air yards, which was just a one single air yard behind Jordan Lastly. So if you're going to trust anyone in this passing game right now, might as well be O'Grady. He is the guy out there mostly after all. Now, with our other squad, the sad, sad, sad Maulers. Josh Love, rather inexplicably, gets to start ahead of Kyle Laletta. Not saying that I expected Kyle Laletta to be this fantastic USFL quarterback, but man, couldn't even beat out Josh Love. That's rough. Don't necessarily expect this to stick. Just stay away from this passing game for the time being. In the backfield, we did get the run first offense. We were expecting Madre London, 52% snaps, 14 carries. Garrett Groshek, 48% snaps, 17 carries. No targets between a group, but London was out there on more routes. So games where they are going to score offensive touchdowns, you can probably expect them to go to either London or Groshek. Had two wide receivers make their name. Delvin Hardaway, 97% routes. Bailey Gaither, 90% routes. And then only one other receiver in Jeff Thomas. He was even on the field. 44% snaps, 53% routes. Why did this happen? Because the Maulers were using this nine offensive linemen set for long portions of the game. They truly started off the first and second half using nine offensive linemen on the field. Weren't really going anywhere with it, but who cares? It's Kirby Wilson and, you know, players can't eat chicken salad. They have to eat chicken salad, I should say. Can't eat pizza and apparently can't, uh, you know, put up points in a USFL game. So two tight ends with a 65% snap rate. Pass catchers in this Maulers offense are going to be pretty tough to come by. But if you are going to look for them, Delvin Hardaway and Bailey Gaither look like the top two. Bailey Gaither in particular uh, flashed on several occasions in that game. Just don't exactly trust his quarterbacks or coaching staff to get him the ball. So, yeah, 
this one was rough. Can't say enough bad things about Kirby Wilson and the way he handled the Devion Smith uh, situation. And honestly, the fact that USFL, like, what editor let that even get out on social media in their documentary whatever the hell they were doing in the first place and thought that was a good idea i mean just to stomp on devion smith and like you know you don't kick a guy when he's down if you don't if you didn't want him on your team for that reason fine but then don't make a documentary about it and let the whole world realize it and then just you know make up some other rules that he apparently broke because that was their comeback and devion on twitter was pretty quick to point out like hey Tell me what rules I broke because I didn't do it. Um, either way, you know, to again, to have all that shit go down and have the performance that they turned in, uh, I'm not surprised that the Maulers didn't seem uh, all that hyped about playing uh, for Kirby Wilson. And yeah, the, right now, power rankings, we'll get the official ones released on Thursday, but would have to say the Pittsburgh Maulers looking like they're in dead last and looking like the Bandits probably in first. I mean, the fact for them to get a comfortable 14-point win, even in a game where Tiamu was far from his best, Great stuff to see from the Bandits. All right, everyone, that is going to wrap up this abbreviated edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Went a little bit long here, 30 minutes. I was hoping to keep it shorter, so apologies there. But if you did not catch everything I said, understandable, go to pff.com. I got my USFO Week 1 Review article up. You uh, screen share people on YouTube probably already saw a lot of it. All the fantasy football workload notes, the touchdowns, the players of the game, final thoughts, all that and so much more. I love this league, people. If you don't like it, then watch NBA. Do something. But, you know, I'm not. I, it's four games. We have time for it. We're going to continue to do it. I love watching football, and I appreciate all of you that do as well. So I'm Ian Harditz. Thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care. Everybody.